welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode three, The Outsiders from 1983. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And you know, Mike, before we introduce our guest, uh, you know, we, we gave Cage so much credit for going from 81 to modern day without skipping a year. Here, we already skipped 1982. He's just not, he didn't do anything in 1982. I mean, at least, you know, that made it to screen. Oh, well, I guess he took some time. I don't know. Needed to find some. Uh, yeah. Even up until today, no one is quite the workhorse like Cage. So. The Mr. Cage. Exactly. Yes, yes. I mean, eight movies in 2018 alone. So the man is a machine. Well, to talk about The Outsiders today with us, we have the co-host of the Contenders podcast. Uh, she was on our Bosom Buddies Season 1 episode, if you listened to that last week over on our other Tom podcast on Hanks for the Memories. We have Island Addington. Hello, Island. Hello. How are you two this evening? Very well. And how are you doing? Fantastic. Very good to hear. So you were saying before we started recording that Tom Cruise, you found a YouTube video where he is the seven minutes of Tom Cruise in this movie, which I guess... For a movie kind of as short as this, isn't a terrible ratio, uh, even though he's not really in the movie a whole ton. Right. No, and and I did watch, because then I was curious, like, okay, what does this look like? It is funny because he's in the background of a lot of scenes, so it wasn't a one seven-minute performance, right? It was probably 30 little little clips, which was kind of unsettling (laughs) to watch. But yeah, he's, um, you know, I I love a gang of misfits, and he's one of them. He's a a misfit (laughs) if I ever saw one. It fits right in there. It's funny, because right off the bat, I noticed he had the the most normal name out of all of them. You know, I know. Like I, I, was, I was disappointed yeah, in that. Yeah, there's like Soda Pop and, you know. Tolly Boy. The, yeah, and he's Steve Randall. It's like, yep. okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like seven minutes, but you do spot him in the background a lot. So I like that. Isaac, you have a special honor here. Just like you were last week on Hank's episode two. Once, he, uh, once again, here on Cruise Club, episode three, you are our first guest of this podcast. <laughs> Wow, I, that is an honor. I didn't do it on purpose, but I just happened to um, have some affection for this film sure. and story. Well, we, we did it on purpose. We want to make sure that you were here with us very early. Bright I'm and number early. one. Set the pace. Question for you. We did not talk about this last week on Hanks because we had 19 episodes oh of Bosom Buddies to talk about. We had a lot to talk about. I'm so but tired But because there's not that. a ton... Me too. Because, because there's not a ton of cruise in this movie why don't you give us an overview do you have a favorite tom cruise movie do you remember the first one that you saw (laughs) keeping in mind his his movies him as an actor as an artist uh what do you think of uh mr tom cruise so are yeah i like how you how you did that so you're asking me to comment only on the acting so that you're not sued? Well, yes, number one. But also number two, you know, for better or worse, we've talked about this in the podcast, and even on this one, that, like, Mike and I have somehow managed to basically separate the art from the artist. We sort of just look at the movies that they're in and, you know, the yeah. actors and the actresses that we cover, and then just sort of focus on that. So, yes, and also to avoid lawsuits from uh, a particular organization. At the risk of, of starting a fight, you sort of seem to say that with pride that you separate the art from the artist and I'm not sure my first memory of of Tom Cruise is um, being at the our cabin on Flathead Lake with my uh, mom, my uncle, and my grandmother. I don't know where Tobin and my dad were but they were not there. Your dad Jeff Addington. My dad Jeff Addington and I was tiny. One of my first memories ever. They wanted to go see this movie called Cocktail. There was a long discussion about 
who is going to have to stay home with me? Oh. And so I felt in the way. Um, And then my mom had a brilliant idea. Well, I'll just bring a blanket and I'll throw it over her head. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Which then I believe she said to the ticket taker, stereotypical ticket taker outside under the marquee, you know, because it was the 80s. (laughs) And so, yeah, she walked in with a toddler and threw a blanket over my head when stuff got dirty. So now even blanket covered, you have seen (laughs) more of Cocktail than I have, because I've never seen Cocktail. There's a lot of the early Tom Cruise movies that I've never seen for one reason or another, just because I just didn't get to them. So, you know, even little, tiny little Island, toddler Island with a head covered in a blanket... Uh, has seen more cocktail than I am. So do you have, do you have a favorite Tom Cruise movie, or the, does he? I, you know, I should, I should be prepared for this. I, I think I have um, nostalgia for Top Gun. Okay. I have not watched it recently, so I can't tell you if um, or how it holds up. But I am just scrolling through here to see what what pops. I didn't need to hit you with such a heavy and hard hitting question so early. I would say a few good men. Okay. Oh yeah, mm, I can't wait. Another to get one that. I have not seen. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm a um, an Aaron Sorkin enthusiast, and so yeah, I would I would I would say a few good men. Well, we will be get, we will be getting to both of those sooner rather than later, Mike. I think in the next couple of months we will for sure be getting the cocktail, and I think a few good men's not too far behind. 1992. So, yeah. So you know he's got a he's got a really big decade ahead of him because this is the last time until Magnolia in 1999 that Tom Cruise is not the lead of a film. Jeez. So. Wow. Everything that we're doing from here on out for a long, long time, it's the Tom Cruise show, and I am very excited. As much as I enjoy uh, Billy the Arsonist for 47 seconds, or I like Steve Randall here just gobbing down on a chocolate cake, which we will come back to in a big way, I want more. I just want more of him in these movies. Well, you're going to get it, my friend. Very, very, (laughs) very excited. So now, Mike, you were saying, you know, we started with Cage Club, and you said that this is like Rumblefish, because, again, you know, Uncle Francis got some of the similar actors. But, you know, I was thinking of, this reminds me of Youngblood, because we got Rob Lowe, we got Patrick Swayze, we got a mid-80s, mostly male drama ensemble drama mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know this is yeah it's it's both similar and very different from movies that you and i've talked about already mm-hmm. no that's a good call it's kind of like a blending of the two i can see that because it's like it's the 50s but it's from the 80s so it has sort of that young bloods feel to it yeah but i mean i got heavy heavy sort of, well the whole greaser social sort of thing i was thinking jocks and nerds hatfields and mccoys and montagues and capulets you know it's a tale as old as time sort of the perspective is what sets this apart like we're basically just with the greasers and i i thought that was kind of an interesting take on sort of a familiar setting familiar plot of some type but yeah i mean i hadn't i'd only seen this movie once in its entirety and this is kind of funny i saw the second half first and the first half later so like i came in halfway and watched the whole movie and then i sat back down and watched it like from beginning to end but i was just i was just shocked again about how star-studded this thing is you know again like young bloods like that's a good connection again there too uh the ensemble here just blew my mind i just kept forgetting it's that guy it's that guy it's this person (laughs) it's that person it was crazy real quick before we get too far from kind of how it's different than some of um, those other ones you mentioned, the sort, the other thing that I, I think is different and, and one of the reasons that I wanted to be involved 
this evening. The source material is written by a woman and written by a teenage woman. Well, I didn't know she was a teenager when she wrote it. That's awesome. She was 15 when she started it. Um, wow. And then uh, 18 when it when it was published. Um, and, you know, the source material versus the film, I understand, is different. Um, but also she was, uh, you know, involved in, in the in the whole process. So um, that was that's the contender's reason that I'm here. And that's also a little bit of two bits. Oh, hey, shoot. Sorry. Just added a segment. So I read this book in seventh grade English. And I probably saw the movie back then, too. The weirdest thing is, so part of the reason, I think we've, we even might have talked about this either on the intro episode, the episode zero, Mike, or maybe in Taps or Endless Love. This was also covered by High School Summer Party by Brian Rodriguez of the High School Summer Party podcast right here on the Cage Club Network. And he covered this about six months ago on his show. I totally forgot until I was about 10 minutes in the movie. I was like, oh, right. I watched this movie this summer. I had completely forgotten that I watched it when they covered it on their show, when Brian covered it on his show. And I was like, why do I remember all of this so vividly? (laughs) And I was like, oh, right, because I literally just saw it. It's okay, because you've watched like 70 movies in December alone. So I forgive you. I did, yes. I've I've seen hundreds of movies, not an exaggeration since I watched this in July. It was actually six months ago yesterday, so almost exactly six months. Happy anniversary. Thank you. You know, we we were saying that, like, part of the reason we're doing Cruise Club, or not the reason we're doing Cruise Club, but, like, the reason that we had the idea to do this is because on that episode, Brian's guest mentioned this is, like, the last time that he's going to be a supporting actor. I was like, oh, because we were struggling through Charlize. We had sort of struggled through Keanu. Either they were not the lead or the lead in bad movies. I was like, wait a minute. We know that he's got a track record of good movies. If he's going to be the star basically from the jump, this is going to be a fun project to do. And so, once again, shout out to Brian and High School Slumber Party for kind of inspiring, in a way... Uh, this entire uh, half of the Tom Tom project. Yeah, and I'm just amazed about how much he's able to stand out amongst this crowd too. You know, by not having a lot of screen time and not really doing all that much, he um, singles himself out. I feel like everybody, in a way, does. But um, he has a presence him. for sure. Yeah, totally. Well, what I noticed, and this is maybe just because we're paying attention to him, but it also feels like, oh wait, no, there's something going on here. It feels like when there's a bunch of them on screen the camera follows him in a way that, like, it just sort of, for whatever reason, it hangs on him more than it does on, like, you know, Rob Lowe or Patrick Swayze or Matt Dillon or the Karate Kid or whatever. You know, it feels like that <laughs> it's hovering Machio. on him. Poor Machio. Jersey Strong. It feels like they're lingering on him. Like, you know, at the end, there is that huge battle, the Greasers versus the, the Socias. Rumble, yeah. He's fighting a guy, and his fight's kind of unremarkable, and, like, he lands a punch and he gets hit a couple times and they cut away then they cut back and all of a sudden he's taking on two or three guys and it's just like lingering on him and then the greasers win or nobody wins or whatever he raises his arms into the sky in triumph and the camera just sort of like stays on him for a while and this is a movie that is filled with handsome dudes in the peak of their you know physical and sexual being but it feels like Tom Cruise here is like captured or you know the, the camera is capturing him in a way that it's sort of not paying attention or as much attention uh, to other actors that I thought it might have. That's interesting. I, I didn't have that same experience, but perhaps it's because I hadn't just seen this movie, so I was watching it more for the overall experience, understanding mm-hmm. that the point of the discussion would be Tom Cruise. But that's interesting. Now it makes me want to watch it again and see <laughs> see if, if I'm looking for him, he stands out. Well, Aislinn, did you like this movie? Did you enjoy watching this? Yes, I think so. I think it checks a lot of 
boxes that I tend to enjoy. So Band of Misfits. I love a coming of age story I get made fun of in my household um, for liking so much stuff that happens in high school. Oh, no, 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 no. Do not get made fun of because that is exactly my wheelhouse. Yeah, you are are in a safe place here. We have a (laughs) high school slumber party podcast on our network, so. I also like seeing, you know, um, Mike pointed out there is a bucket full of movie stars before they were movie stars in this yep. that's i think that's fun it's it's not behind the scenes but because now we've some of these folks we've been able to watch through a big portion of their lives and a big portion of our lives there's something a little bit behind the scenes about it kind of seeing the origin of their craft a little bit i have complex feelings about rablo we don't have to get into but I did very much enjoy his first book where he talked a lot about the process of, of getting cast and being being in this film and what it was like to all be, you know, in the hotel together and, and the relationships and stuff there. So I think because I had that behind the scenes, I, I bring that in to, to watching it. There's just like a camaraderie or energy between them that just feels like they something went on behind the scenes together where they bonded hard over something because it comes I mean if not for anything else that comes through to me they just feel completely natural like like real friends and like like there's a real pecking order between them and everything yeah I think they achieved an authenticity that is palpable oh yes absolutely like there's a scene so I guess if you haven't seen The Outsiders it is about this group of young misfits the the, the ragtag bunch of misfits as Iceland's been calling them they are sort of the you know the, the the lower class kids in this town and there's also the socias who are the you know the, the white bread ritzy town people in this you know 1960s oklahoma town yeah i liked how the um the outsiders were literally from the other side of the tracks <laughs> yes <laughs> i think i thought that was a nice touch just you know for younger viewers well, I, I mean guess. like that that saying you know came from a point where like that was reality i would mm-hmm. imagine right so yeah. yeah in this movie there's a lot of tension but there's one point where like they, they they're about to rumble and i write i'm like i wrote down like oh this is the first conflict of the movie and i was like wait a minute literally every scene has been a fight like well yeah I mean, it they're, starts they're, with a fight they're fighting in every scene you know even in the beginning like matt dylan finds those little kids and just like steals their playing cards makes them play pickup 52 card pickup and it's just like i hate caves and then chases after them like every scene they're just like antagonizing strangers or you know enemies or friends or whatever. Eisen said the very first scene, he's uh, walking home from a movie and the socias pull a switchblade on him. Yep. Yeah. We're walking home. I was like, whoa. I was like, I did not remember how heated this is right from the jump. I, I think it, it starts at a level and really is able to maintain there. Like, I'm I'm like Machio sometimes. Like, I'm, I'm like tense watching this movie. Like, waiting because I feel like they could get jumped at any second. Well, we know from Too Fast, Too Forever that you are either Kylo Ren or the Hulk, so <laughs> I would not want to cross you. If attacked, I mean, I don't want to start a fight, but if attacked, I will go into my rage, I suppose. <laughs> so Johnny and Ponyboy are hanging out, and uh, some socials show up, and they start beating up on uh, Ponyboy, and then Johnny saves him by killing a guy with a knife, chasing everybody off, and then they're on the run. Like That's in the first like 20, 25 minutes. Then they go away to a cabin. Church. The church and the 
the countryside. So Dallas uh, shows up and is just, you know, basically taking care of him. He brings him to burgers. And then on their way back, they see this burning, you know, school, right? They save these kids and they're seen as heroes now. That's when they come back to town and then sort of, you know, things go from there. They, they get burned and Johnny gets very burned in the fire and eventually dies in the hospital. And all the while, there's sort of tensions bubbling between the greasers and the socias because uh, a greaser killed a soch and, you know, they, they got to get retribution and all this different stuff. There's a big fight. Then Johnny loses his mind at the end. Attempts maybe to kill a doctor. Steal, robs a convenience store and then gets gunned down by the police. In the middle of all that, what inspired that whole explanation, aside from just, you know, background for the podcast, is there's a scene, you know, the camaraderie that you guys are talking about. There's a scene where they're at the hospital and Ponyboy is there and, like, Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze see him and they just look so genuinely relieved and happy and overjoyed. Well, they're their brothers. Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, and, yes, you know how are are all brothers and taking care of each other. There's no... There's no parents. Yeah, their parents just passed away. The look of, like, just joy on their face is is palpable. You know what I mean? Like, I know that they're, I mean, it's they're, they're brothers, but it still feels like this real, it just feels like reality bleeding through the screen. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a very, uh, very uh, well-acted film. Like, Uncle Francis did a really good job here. Like, this is, <laughs> I don't, he captured something, like, about all like just the emotion behind because most of the times when greasers are depicted in films they're the tough guys right like they're the ones always starting shit and all that but like here these are just people they weren't they were dealt this hand they didn't ask for it and like they're just trying to live the best they can and so it's we see like all the home lives are very volatile situations like no one's got a good home life or anything and these three brothers trying to take care of each other and they don't really know how and so when one of them goes missing and shows back up after this you know he could have died too yeah like it comes through so it like that's the thing like all those like those moments come through just as much as the other moments that make me scared like you know with the fights and the switchblades and everything like i feel like uncle francis did a really good job here of these like emotional beats and like where they should land and everything so everyone's really on point plus it's Swayze like every time (laughs) I see him I'm just I lose it so (laughs) I agree but I also want to give credit to the source material for um, providing more than an outline but you know providing the the foundation for this I, I agree the camaraderie and and that is great what also really sticks out to me and again I did just come from facilitating a program about this but that these young men are allowed and invited to be whole humans so, yeah, they are greasers, but also they care about each other. Like you mentioned, um, seeing, finding their brother at the hospital and a number of them break down and cry at different points. And I think there's, they're just allowed to show such variety in their masculinity that is surprising if you kind of take into account when it was written and when it was made and then compare it to now. I'm not saying the whole thing is, but I think it has some great examples of of, of showing that it's okay to feel and express a, a range of emotion. And we don't always see that with uh, stories that are so focused on young men. Yeah. What about the Tom Cruise of it all? <laughs> Speaking of uh, Uncle Francis, Mike, we do not have Nicolas Cage in here, but we do have Little Domino, uh, with her yes. very big buck teeth, you know, Mr. Can You Please Spare a Dime, she is 
adorable in this movie. I love her movies, but I, I kind of secretly wish that she also had an acting career still. Like, I know she never <laughs> wanted to, really, but like I, I always liked her in front of the screen as well. Yeah, me too. But I think that's a good way to transition into our main man, Tom Cruise, because he's also got some teeth going on in this movie. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the first time I saw this, it was, that's, was, I was like, what is going on there? Well, real quick question before we dive deep into Cruz. Um, and I guess this is also kicking off, you know, so like Emilio Estevez is in this movie, right? Yes. And Rob Lowe's in this movie. And, and like, I don't know if you do that. The Lowe's and the Sheens grew up across the street from each other. And they were like Indeed. all great friends growing up and everything. I started wondering if Tom Cruise was here because Charlie Sheen couldn't make it. There's there's a very similar vibe at this point in time between the two of them that I never put together. And so I was here going, is he surrogate Sheen at this point or something? Or like, what's going on? Um, but ultimately, by the end, it's all him. It, it, he makes it his own. I'm not I'm not missing Charlie Sheen by any means at the end of this movie. Uh, it's just a thought that popped into my head. Well, so according to IMDb, and I don't know if you knew this because you basically said a different version of this, but Emilio Estevez and Tom Cruise were childhood friends, oh, and okay. they auditioned together, and then they both got the parts. In the movie, they're kind of buds, right? They're, they both kind of work at the gas station, or yep. at least Emilio Estevez works at the gas station and Cruise like, hangs around, but I think he's He's got the he's got the the gas station attendant uniform that he wears. Uh, they they show up to the house together when Pony Boy is cooking the eggs, and they're in Mission Impossible together too down the line. Oh, so we'll get back to look that. At that. <laughs> look yeah. at that. If you're interested in in more of that stories of the casting and all that, there is a behind the scenes. A lot of that was recorded, and I don't know. You could probably Google it to find it. But also, if you in Rob Lowe's book, there's like multiple chapters about. How they, you know, all the, it's not, it wasn't really chemistry testing, but like they would all get together and, and be filmed doing stuff. And it was a very long process back and forth about who was going to play what part and, and all that. And there's just, um, there's a whole ton of backstory just about that. So if you're interested in that, check out. Uh, stories I only tell my friends, or stories I tell my friends. That's awesome. There's a lot there. One thing that there's also apparently I, I was I just watched this on HBO Go. Like I don't own the DVD for this, but there's apparently also a DVD commentary. Um, yes. so there's probably also secrets and stories in there as well. The one thing that I read on uh, IMDb about that was that during filming, Tom Cruise got the script for Risky Business. He apparently had asked Diane Lane. Uh, to be play Lana, who I guess is a prostitute. Another movie I have not seen, but we'll see very <laughs> soon. The Rebecca De Mornay. De Mornay. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Diane Lane apparently in the commentary says, quote, very quietly to the other actors that he had asked her during filming to play Lana. Her father told her there was no way in hell she was going to play a hooker in this movie. Call girl. Come on. This feels like the kind of movie, whether it's, you know, memoirs or DVD commentaries, it feels like there are just stories to be had. When we talked about Taps, Mike, we, we talked about how everybody mm-hmm. stayed at that hotel, or everybody stayed on site except for maybe Tom Cruise at a hotel, or who knows. But apparently, but maybe this is also in those books, and so Isla, maybe it you know is. about this. <laughs> yep. They all stayed at this one hotel, and they were apparently assholes to basically the entire hotel would just do like lots of pranks and stuff, which reminds me, Mike, of uh, My Five Dads at that diner a little bit. Okay, well. <laughs> so years later, Tom Cruise met up with somebody who's like, oh, I was working at that hotel 
that you guys stayed at, and the first thing Tom Cruise said was, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he just apologized, because it, it was it's just a bunch of young kids yeah. who were, you know, in the movie at least, without supervision, and probably in real life without too much supervision, running amok, and, you know, all good-looking, young, becoming affluent dudes, living it up. And so I can't imagine uh, the stories that happened on that set. I might have to read that Rob Lowe book. You should. The, the one thing I'll add, and, and I'll leave all the Matt Dillon stuff for when you read the book. Yes, they were in a hotel, and the the greasers and socias were separated. So oh, they each had a floor to maximize that antagonism. So I think some of the hijinks included the kind of pranks, et cetera, back and forth because they were not sequestered, but they, you know, they, uh, again, that authenticity reads on the, on the screen that was intentional to keep them um, in their downtime c- kind of to their own groups hmm. for the betterment of the film. But anyway, okay, enough trivia. Let's cruise it up. So, Island, before we talk about Tom Cruise, and maybe this is the way to kick off, kickstart the conversation, this is something that we talk about on all these episodes now. What was your favorite part of the movie? Was it something that Tom Cruise did, or was it something that uh, another character did? Like, what was your favorite part, or moment, or scene, or line? I thought you were going to say, was it something Tom Cruise did, or something Tom Cruise said? <laughs> <laughs> in later movies, I think it's going to be a lot of Tom... Like, Mike and I have been saying, you know, the, our favorite moments in these first couple of movies have been what he did, because we're, that's why we're here, but in this mm-hmm. movie, there's a lot of exciting things happening but so what was your what was your favorite thing that he either did or said or had no part with I absolutely enjoyed watching Diane Lane I, I found her to be a real a kind of bright spot in it um, um everyone's good but kind of among all these you know young dudes walking around so I, I liked whenever she was part of the story in this moment I think what what's really um, coming up for me is the time when Ponyboy and Johnny are, are in the church together and it's it just them yeah. you know the kind of the, the th- things they share and, and you know what what do you do when it's just the two of you and read gone with the wind I guess but um, but their their camaraderie in that desperate situation is probably yeah. my favorite. But it's, it's, this is one because there's so many people and so much going on that I think with each watching, something else stands out. Yeah. So in, in this yeah. watching, I, w- I would say I would say that. I like it. And Mike, what about you? What was your favorite favorite thing in The Outsiders? Obviously, it's a, it's, it's a cruise thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, lo- I just think he's so weird in this, like from his car backflips to the chocolate <laughs> cake to just like sticking a newspaper in his pants and everything. Oh, I wrote that newspaper down. Absolutely. Like, I love all that stuff, but I feel like it's a little, I don't know if it's a little cheap to pick one of those things again. No wrong answers. You know what What really kind of surprised me this time was, um, I, I liked at the end, okay, where like, it seems like everything's back to normal and we're watching the brothers and suddenly there's just like this spark and they start arguing again. And it's like, oh, the cycle continues and Rob Lowe like runs out of the house and now he's running away, but they all catch up with him at like the baseball field and they like have it out with each other sort of like spill their guts in front of each other and they have like a good sort of cry as bros and then they all go back home and I was like wow I totally forgot that moment I I have two brothers also you know and uh, like we've definitely shared those moments before so I was like wow that that I felt that this time so I think I'm gonna go with that moment nice that's a great one you know mine is going to sort of pale in comparison to that but uh, it's something you said. It didn't really strike me at first, but when Cruz and Emilio Estevez first show up to the house and Ponyboy's cooking eggs, Emilio Estevez takes a beer out of the fridge 
And Tom mm-hmm. Cruise looks at him and is just like, oh, you're drinking beer for breakfast? Like, putting this guy down. And then Tom Cruise proceeds to pick up just a half of a chocolate cake and just <laughs> eat that. So I didn't realize in the moment that he's like, I can't believe that, like, that's what you're choosing to eat for breakfast. And then Tom Cruise just shoves chocolate cake into his face, getting chocolate smeared all over his mouth, you know, making weird faces, like, silently in the background while other people are talking, just eating chocolate cake. Like, it's just such a weird, specific character moment, and I just love it. And especially I love the the irony, I guess, of the insult to Emilio Estevez for him to only sort of trump that himself. <laughs> I'll never forget when I was, like, a kid watching this, and Emilio takes the beer and the rest of the cake and sits down, like, in front of the TV <laughs> set to, like, mm-hmm. finish his breakfast. I was like, oh my god, I love this. Now, Aislinn, do you have a least favorite moment? in The Outsiders. Yes. um, I think it's well documented. I don't like watching fighting. I don't like listening to fighting. So when people say, well, just close your eyes, like the Foley work of it is almost worse. I think they are very successful in creating that that idea, um, like you said, Mike, that you could be jumped at any point. But that, that it, you know, just starts off with this poor kid just walking home. And immediately there is the threat of like imminent physical violence. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't like that. So yeah, if you look at some of just on paper kind of what's in this movie, it's it's not all for me, but I think it all works together enough that I, I can, I can hang in there for it. But yeah, definitely the fighting and and murdering of people was my least favorite part. <laughs> I think that's very, very both well documented, as you said. And also very valid. Mike, what about you? What's your least favorite moment in The Outsiders? Again, there's a lot of tough moments for me in this too. Like, I know it's intentional, but Coppola just like is able to create that sense of dread like a lot of times. Like when you when you think like things are have blown over and then it's like, oh shit, like they totally haven't. Ultimately, what, again, what got me harder than I was expecting is when Ralph Macchio dies. Like, it just broke my heart for some reason this time. Like, I just, I don't know, like, maybe I'm just going through a tough time or something, but, like, that kid's life and, like, his journey in this movie over the course of, like, two or three days or whatever is just incredible. Like, yeah, so I really was feeling it for Macchio this time. You know, mine's going to sort of piggyback off that a little bit, and I just hate, and I understand that on a certain level, but I hate when people going through, you know, what Matt Dillon's going through, then sort of take that out on innocence around them. Mm. And so, like, when he's, you know, intimidating the doctor, like, you know, pulls the, the the trigger of the gun in the doctor's face, you know, it's empty, but then he robs a convenience store, like, he's on a self-destructive pattern that is, on the one hand, understandable, but on the other hand, I don't want to see that. Like, just, you know, there's got to be more constructive ways to deal with that grief, even though he's wrapped up in that moment, he's sort of... You know, his emotions are taking the better of him, but you know, that's it's it's tough. I mean, it's a tough thing to go through, but be better. His character for me is the one I kind of understand the least, too, to be honest. Like, he lives at that roadhouse. We get very little about his family, and he seems extremely resourceful, and I don't know. There's just, and he's, he's more wild mm-hmm. than the rest of them as well. There's something, yeah, there's something, like, kind of off about him, I guess, that I just, I just feel danger from him because I don't understand him, I guess. Uh, Is that the same roadhouse, Mike, that Patrick Swayze will return to in a handful of years? Um, most definitely, I would Probably. say. Probably. Three rules. Take it outside. I actually do want to say another one of my favorite moments, and it's just, it's the one line that I wrote down. Uh, that Tom Cruise, when they're on the way to the Rumble, you know, they, they all gather together at the house and they're leaving the house to meet up with the other greasers. And Patrick Swayze does that, like, incredible vault over the fence. You know, Mike, we are three movies in the Cruise Club and we had <laughs> one of the greatest acrobatic stunts I've ever seen in a movie in Endless Love where the dad gets hit by the taxi cab. 
Um, oh where my it's gosh, I had insane. almost forgotten about that. No, never yeah. forget it. Mike, never forget about that. <laughs> seared into my brain. So that's number one. And then here, we've got Patrick Swayze. They apparently all did their own gymnastic stunts. That Patrick Swayze, like, vaults onto the fence, does the 180 turn, and then, like, vaults off. I was like, what? And then Tom Cruise gets up on the car and does, like, that back tuck jump, like the, the spin off the car. According to IMDb, was had just eaten a bunch and felt like he couldn't do it, and so he went and vomited. He, he ate raw eggs until he vomited and then was able to do it, but he nails it. You know, even Eisen, if you don't like that they're going to, they're basically heading into battle, there's like this real sense of excitement and terror and all these emotions that Uncle Francis captures so perfectly. And as they're walking, Tom Cruise says, ain't nobody going to call the fuzz in this neighborhood because they know better. <laughs> and it's like, they know not to fuck with us, that we are going to, we'll take them down. Like, this is us versus the socias. This is our ground. Let's do it. And I just was like, oh yeah, like that, like that's maybe his his big line in this movie, but I just, I love that line. I was trying to search for lines throughout this, and um, I don't know, I didn't end up writing any of them down, but all of the dialogue just was cool to me. I don't know, it all seemed to flow really well. There's a lot of interesting turns of phrase and stuff, and I think a couple of them were putting on some accents and things, and, and that was cool, but but I definitely agree. Like, that moment is charged. Like, it's electric, and Swayze is just an Adonis, you know? Like, he could do anything. Like, he's jumping out of airplanes in Point Break because that's what he loves to do. Like, he jumped out of airplanes for fun. Yeah, this whole thing about the rumble, the turf war, like, it, it builds and builds. I mean, and then I, I really, my favorite thing about the rumble like if i had to say is just i like how it starts raining which i assume is like metaphorical like it's metaphorical rain like <laughs> they've uh, fought so much that like the heavens have opened up and it you know trying to cool them off or something i don't know but i just thought that was an interesting touch just that like oh the weather changed in the middle of this fight it also feels like in that scene it's not always raining Maybe that's just camera angles. Maybe that's... I, I don't know what that mm-hmm. was, but it felt like there were a couple shots where there just wasn't rain. So maybe it, is, maybe it is a metaphor. I don't know. You'll have to read Rob Lowe's book. I guess. <laughs> or the very definition of scattered showers. <laughs> that day, the rain machine was on the fritz, and Francis just wasn't having it. So he just yelled <laughs> action and was like, I'll fix it in post. A couple of things I noticed about Tom Cruise. He has, a think, a feather tattoo on his right arm. I was trying to picture what that was. I that's think it's a, a feather. That's not a real tattoo, think. though, right? It's not his... I don't think so. I think he's unmarked. I don't know. No, his his body is a temple. Like, there's a reason that he has basically stayed looking the same for the last 20 years, because uh, he treats his body like a temple. Um, and he also uh, has a arm wrestling match, I believe, with Rob Lowe in this movie, and wins. So, uh, one for one there. He's basically just like a dirty mess this whole movie, too. Yeah. Well, they all are, right? Like, I just thought that was... I really felt that through the screen, too. Just, like, they're caked with a layer of grime and dirt and grease that, like, is uh, obvious. You know, I was like, whoa, he probably smells bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the only thing that, I mean, we've, we've talked about it already, but I guess the only other really sort of big thing to address is that final rumble uh, where they all get there and the, they meet up with the other greasers and the socials come and they battle. And, you know, again, according to IMDb, the, there are so many bodies just flying around that, like, Tom Cruise both broke his thumb and also got punched in the jaw and needed, like, emergency dental surgery the next day. Was it shot, like, in sequence? Is that why maybe there's something going on with his teeth 
earlier in the movie because he I got don't know. beat up in the rumble later in the movie or something. Uh, I, maybe. There's that line. What happened to his character? Because there's a line after the rumble where they're like, yeah, you, he's like, it don't look too bad, do it? And he's like, well, you just got a hole in your face. I was like, wait, what happened to him? He got a I hole don't know. in his face? Something happened to him, his character at the rumble too. So maybe they wrote that in. Yeah, maybe they ad-lib that based on what actually happened. But Emilio Estevez had his lip cut. C. Thomas Howell got a black eye. Tom Cruise broke his thumb and needed dental work done after being punched in the jaw. So a lot of stuff going on with that in that in that rumble. I like the moment in uh, right before it starts where the leader of the Soshids comes up and shakes Swayze's hand and he's like, I got you. And he's like, what's up with this guy? He's like, yeah, they used to be buddies and stuff. I was like, whoa, what is, <laughs> what happened in this neighborhood? Like between that one little line just kicked off this train of thought in my mind where it was just like, you know, these guys were friends. There was nothing dividing them when they played football in high school. And it's like now that they're out in life just because one lives somewhere and someone lives somewhere else or their social status, like they're not allowed to socialize and be friends. Like it's just a really messed up rule of society or whatever. It's just what what happens. It's just a shame. So I, there's a lot in that moment alone. And it's just a tiny little moment. So I thought that was interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like you could easily imagine a, a scenario in which, okay, yeah, it's great. Everyone's out playing football and like the parents of a social be like yeah it's good that you're all on a team but you know their bad influences don't shouldn't hang out with them or you know what I mean I think that's still a social class determines so much of our you know experiences etc etc and what we're allowed to do or expected to do Um, and I think there's a lot uh, too to be said for you know perception versus reality and if you have the reputation of being a greaser then people are going to treat you that way, right? Yeah. Or, or if you have that reputation and, and you internalize that, then that I think that's some of the Dylan of it all is that there's an expectation that he's crazy and he's going to mess up and he's violent and he's all that. And so that um, I think is is part of what fuels that, you know, breakdown and, and eventual suicide by police. Yeah. The greasers all really wear it as like a badge of honor and a mark of pride that they are greasers. Like, Emilio Estevez makes a joke about how he doesn't, you know, that one guy doesn't go to the, he goes to the barber for an oil change, not a haircut. And, you know, when they have to, when, when Pony Boy and Johnny have to cut their hair and dye their hair, they're terrified because that's like who they are. And so they're all internalizing it. They're all, you know, this is, well, this is who they are. It's their community. That's what they have, yeah. right? They're not allowed. They're not welcome into other social groups. This is their it's their family and it, it, yeah absolutely it's their identity yeah it's it was interesting when they saved all those kids and then like i assumed it was the teacher or maybe the bus driver but like there's the man see thomas howe is like sharing a cigarette with him in the in the emergency waiting room at the hospital he's like yeah we're greasers and he's like i never thought a, a greaser do anything that good or something <laughs> you know paraphrasing and stuff but it's yep. like there there's the moment it's right there again the message so it's cool how it's like yes it's it's obvious greaser social it's, it's an obvious device but there are these great little moments that are kind of just like little throwaway moments that really reveal a lot so i thought that was very very cool watching it this time around there's a lot more depth to it than than I recalled. <laughs> you know, one thing that I forgot about this movie that maybe is from the book, maybe not. I don't know. And Iceland, you might know this, but it's something that we talked about when we recorded our A League of Their Own episode for your show, Iceland for the Contenders. Yeah. Was just how that movie is all framed within a flashback from Gina mm-hmm. Davis's character. 
this is all told in an essay that Ponyboy is writing. Right. It feels kind of unnecessary, I think. And it also takes away a little bit of the drama or the suspense that, like, when he is hiding away or he is in a fight, that, like, he's going to be okay because he's the one telling the story. And I don't Mm. know if we need that framing device. I don't know if we need to know that this is from his, you know, that he's the one telling the story. I think we can sort of just jump in and then have an ending similar to the ones in the movie without really giving away that he survives. I took it differently as, in addition to being the youngest of the brothers, I, I feel like all the brothers sort of, and, and, and the uh, and the other um, greasers, see something different in him a little bit than, than themselves, or he's special in some way, I feel like. And part of that, I think, is that he has, I get, maybe I'm putting a bunch of stuff on it, but like this talent for writing and expressing himself and and I think that's part of why they're maybe protective of him and so I for for me the you know book ending it that way is I don't know kind of makes that more full circle that he's fulfilling that potential that others see in him and then also just because the the book was written by such a young person I felt like it was appropriate that a young person was telling the story is that framing device in the book from what you remember I don't remember yeah, I'm sorry it's okay I did like it though that we got to see him leave the movie theater twice like I thought that was like Francis took it pretty far where he was like nope like it's yep we're gonna end right at the beginning mm-hmm. you know exactly there also Joey check this out so right in the opening here uh, Cruise Nection. So Steve Thomas Howell leaves uh, the movie theater. He's seeing The Hustler. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise will be in the sequel, The Color of Money. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that was a sequel. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Very, very interesting. So censors going wild right at the start. Uh, that's a, sort of a preemptive Cruise Nection. Uh, so the only other note that I have is that uh, Tom Cruise auditioned for the Matt Dillon role, the Patrick Swayze role, the Rob Lowe role, and the one played by Darren Dalton, Randy Anderson. Uh, until he finally was cast as good old Steve Randall. Um, Steve. So, he, so he had his eyes on, you know, bigger, meatier parts, but then eventually wound up here. But I think, you know, without spoiling things, I think he did okay in his career from here on out without being a lead. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure, but... Isaac, any other thoughts about The Outsiders before we play a couple games? Oh, gosh, no. I mean, you say games, and then I'm ready for games. Like, any other thoughts about The Outsiders before we, we move on? So far, like, we've been, we're on a roll. Like yep. we've started, like we're starting hot with Cruise Club here, and uh, just these three performances, like he's really bringing it, and like I don't know, I just get a good sense that like he loves doing this, and so it's gonna be really fun to watch someone where it's like apparent as they're acting like he it kind of feels like he knows he's acting and he loves doing it and he's good at it and stuff so like i don't know i get this. <laughs> that might sound weird no uh, i like that i i love watching people do what they love you yeah. know even if I'm at a concert and there's a band and it's kind of crappy mm-hmm. i love that they're living their dream yeah, he seems to be having so much fun and i'm having yeah. a lot of fun watching him and so I'm glad. I'm glad that this is happening. I think he'd be so happy that you're having a good time. <laughs> it's why he's doing it, right? For right. us to be entertained. From all every like all reports, it seems like he's like genuinely like the nicest guy on set and like just like happy to be there and remembers everybody's name to an inhuman level, remembers everybody's name. And it just feels like this is always what he wanted to do, what he was meant to do, and he's doing it. And it's it's you know, Mike, you're exactly right. Like it's great and it's fun to watch. I was also thinking, Mike, 
that once again, just like our last handful of podcasts, I am ranking on Letterboxd. I'm soul popped on Letterboxd if you want to go find me over there. If you're listening and you're on Letterboxd, my rankings already for the first three are already messed up. Like, I don't know how to rank these three movies. But I was also thinking, like, these could be three, not that they're bad at all, but that they could be three of, like, the bottom five or ten movies that we watch. Yeah, and you know, I was. Taps, not a great movie, but. I was very entertained. Well, I had no idea because I don't know anything about that life, like kids in military school and stuff. So I was entertained. But right, you're. I think you're right. Like these are just okay movies, and we're having like so much fun with them that yeah. when we start getting into like the real meat and potatoes, like it's just going to be a feast. It's going to be a festival. Mm-hmm. You know, these these first three movies I've given all like three or three and a half stars to on Letterboxd, and like they're so insane. Like each movie has had like even aside from Cruise has had just like blow out like crazy moments that like what is going on this movie is so nuts kind of thing yeah all right now eyes on our first game we played it last week on hanks for the memories if tom hanks was cast as steve randall mm. what would this part in the outsiders look like we are recording this episode in the midst of two what I can only imagine, we've not recorded the second one yet, but two very long Bosom Buddies episodes. So I've got Bosom Buddies on the brain. Aizen, what, what, do you, what do you think, knowing, you know, having watched all 19 episodes of the first season of mm-hmm. Bosom Buddies, what would The Outsiders be like if, if Tom Hanks, circa 1983, was in this movie? His performance uh, would be different, of course, but I think that in that early era, I think he would bring something wild, something weird that would kind of fit in maybe parallel what what Tom Cruise is doing and I'd say that because of some of the real broad kind of moments in um, Bosom Buddies no pun intended where he can he can be wild and crazy or or do something a little off the wall and I and I obviously was not there on the set of this but I I feel like these young actors were given freedom to to make choices and create moments even with the kind of background, you know, greaser characters like Tom Cruise kind of was. And so I, while it would be different, I, I know I think his version of cake all over your face would be something else. I think he would be equally uh, weird and wild. Like from my favorite episodes in season one, like the rewrite, just, you know, whipped cream pile over the face. Who knows? Right. Yeah, exactly. He has that. He, <laughs> um, and I think he has a, a different sense of humor, but a sense of humor that would... Um, mix with this group and and kind of bring something different. Mike, what about you? What if what if Tom Hanks, knowing what we know, we're we're both in the middle of watching season two right now mm-hmm. of Bosom Buddies. What would, what would what would this movie be like if Tom Hanks was in the role of Steve Randall? I think it would work. I think he could bring a lot of his own sort of little Hanks isms into this group, and they would the dynamic would still be there. Like I think he would still get along and like have a rapport with Emilio like he does different stuff than than Cruz like he does voices a lot on uh, I feel like on uh, Bosom Buddies like he'll launch into an impression or something and he's got a great laugh so I feel like he'll throw that laugh out a little bit more where he's like ha 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 the one thing I don't know if he could do is the greasy hair because he's got like that curly hair you know like that afro stuff so like I don't know i die to see what that looks like though 1982 hanks with just like slick grease back pompadour hair style <laughs> love to see it i don't think he'd pull off the car backflip but i think he'd find something else to do you exactly. know to make he'd himself stand up else. yeah yeah so i would i would actually 
love to see that. You know, one thing that I think would be maybe similar is, especially in season two, I think a little bit in season one, but like there are a handful of Bosom Buddies episodes that just end on like this really, really somber note, which we'll be talking about, uh, oh, especially yeah. next week in, in season two's discussion over on Hanks for the Memories. But I feel like that even early, this early on, Tom Hanks is able to show, you can land the dramatic moments. Even if they didn't necessarily fit the tone of the episode, when the tone suddenly switched to being oh, shit got real for a second, Mm -hmm. he's able to do that. And I think in this movie, where for the most part it's rascals having fun, and then all of a sudden their friend dies, or their friend killed the guy, or, you know, their other friend got just got gunned down by the police where, like, there's there's real things that life is throwing at them. Tom Hanks in that role could really kind of land that, like, somber reflection that is sort of necessary, that, you know, he is obviously able to, like, goof around and have fun and be one of the guys or one of the girls, if you know what I mean. Uh, he's also able to really, when it matters, come through and really sort of land that heavy moment. So I think it might be even a little bit more serious. Like he wouldn't be maybe as, it'd be playful in a different way than Tom Cruise, but I think that Tom Hanks would sort of kind of realize uh, like the gravity of the situation would, would set in on him and he would come to terms with like, oh, yeah, th- shit got real. And, you know, sort of have that moment of reflection. So I think that that could be, that's what's in my mind right now in terms of yeah. if Hanks was in this. Now, Aislinn, going from if Hanks was in this, that if you were in this, oh, if gosh. you won a walk-on role into The Outsiders, there's not a lot of women in this movie. Nope. If you were to Stan Lee yourself, what's your Stanio, your Stanley cameo to steal the, the phrase from HTML, another show on the podcast network, all covering currently the Marvel Cinematic Universe? If you were to Stan Lee yourself into this movie, Aislinn, where would you be? What would you be doing? Who would you be talking to? Or not? That's a thinker. Because I am um, so comfortable in the precocious little sister role in my life, I would insert some little cameo where when the greasers are walking through their neighborhood, I would be somebody's little sister and either try to join them or or do something of in the vein of well I'm going to tell mom or you know something I would I would be I would be um, trying to catch up with the greasers as a as a little sister I like that now Mike you and I have a, an easier option here because this movie is teeming with dudes and just raw male sexual energy uh, as as you and I are both known to exude <laughs> speak for yourself no I'm <laughs> So if you want a walk-on role, if you're going to Stanley yourself into this movie, where would you be? What would you be doing? Yeah, there's a lot of places to to be here. I'm going to I'm going to I think I'm going to go with a true sort of cameo. I'm not going to I'm not going to like be part of the crew, part of the greasers or I'm not going to be a soldier or any of that. I'm going to come up to the uh gas station with mm. my bike that has a deflated tire. Oh, okay. And, okay. And, like baseball cards in its spokes and stuff and i'm gonna ask uh tom cruise and them and be like y'all got a uh you got a bike pump i could borrow and uh they'd be like sure kid and then after they do that I'd be like well now get, now get your ass out of here get home we don't like children <laughs> they're gonna throw <laughs> a bunch of cards at me tell me to go away <laughs> you know i think i'm gonna put myself at that burning school and you know maybe it's just that they are trying to maintain the kids that they have or whatever but it feels like the adults in the situation aren't really doing much and i think there'd be a, a good way that I could just be like all like sort of sooted up hands on hips or hands on head just like walking back and forth like I don't know what to do and just you know the the school is burning (laughs) beside me and I'm just like I can't do anything and then I'm just overjoyed uh, when our greasers show up and save the day but I'm just there like this you know 
inability to do anything. So that's I don't know why that stuck in my head, but that was the first thing I thought of, and I'm you know I'm kind of okay being completely useless in this movie. All right. It was kind of weird though, though how like yeah, no one was running in to try and help the kids during that moment. I don't know. It's a good thing they came along. Absolutely. There's the sort of thing where like you need to make sure that you're safe in that situation, right? Like if you're on a crashing airplane, you like you put your own oxygen mask on first before you help the person next to you or whatever. It's the same kind of but thing. Like, but, if you're going to... I, 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 I but believe children. me. Believe they're me. Children. I, I fully agree with you. I'm just trying to maybe <laughs> kind of explain why the teacher is not doing... Or the bus driver or whatever. He's not doing anything. I don't know. But yeah, I would just be like, oh, uh, fear I can't is believe powerful. it. Fear is very powerful. You know, especially fire. One of the and shocked. Most, uh, yeah, exactly. So I don't judge that guy. <laughs> Trying not to. Trying not to. Do not judge, lest ye be judged. We have an email address here on the show, run at cageclub.me. If you write in, first person to write in with an email about the show, I'll send you a little prize if you want to share your your mailing address with me. Run at cageclub.me. We have no emails today, but let us know what you think of this podcast of the Tom Tom Club as a whole. You know, what you think of The Outsiders, what you think of next movie, uh, you know, in two weeks, which is going to be losing it. Just, you know, say hi, run at cageclub.me. We'll either read it on air, or if you don't want it to read it on air, you know, just send a note and just say, don't read it on air, but just here's what I'm thinking, and we'll go from there. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash cageclub, where if you have a couple extra dollars you want to support what we do, not just this show, but all of the shows on the network, uh, you can kick a couple bucks in over there and get some merch. You can help control what Mike and I watch. Uh, we've got a handful of ideas of some bonus content that we can do for the Patreon page. So if you're interested in some different things that we are not doing yet, go to patreon.com slash cageclub and just kick in a couple bucks. Now, Aislinn, I have the uh, the most important question of the day. Yeah. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Yes, absolutely. Would you agree with that, Mike? Yeah, totally. Right? Absolutely. I mean, did my eyes deceive me? We all watched the same movie. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. I don't know if you know this, Iceland, but his uh, like his Twitter bio, basically his, all of his social media bio, it says, running in movies since 1981, which is why our email address is run, <laughs> which is why we asked this question, which if you I'm download the I'm just surprised he has Twitter. I know. It's, it's, I'm it's, a little surprised, too. It's yeah, very but... promotional. He doesn't actually, yeah. like... Sure. It's not like his stereotypically like what he's having for lunch or whatever, but it's more it's like... It's like how I have a Twitter. <laughs> yes, to yeah. communicate with his fans. Even Hanks uses his to like say, oh, I found a, a glove or a shoe. Hanks got a weird Twitter going great on Twitter. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just seems like whenever a new Cruise movie comes out, it gets active. It activates again and it starts yeah, tweeting. So the last thing we have to do on the show, the Tom Cruise Awards may be... I don't know. I don't know what they're going to be that yet. that thing from Taps. What were those? The... Oh, the golden uh, oak leaves. Yeah, those oak leaves he really admired. Golden oak leaves? But okay. We'll see. Anything for the... Oh, the, the chocolate cake awards? Mm. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the gross <laughs> eating in movies award. We'll see. So, okay, so what categories cake. we have. Best film, worst film. I don't think this is either of those. Best of the worst, most fun, bad film, no. Best role, worst role, most wasted performance. I don't think any of those apply here. I think he's used mm-hmm. well. It's just it's not necessarily his best or his worst role. Best fight, uh, absolutely. Oh, the Rumble, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's lots of fights, but the Rumble, I guess we'll we'll have to nominate. Yeah, yeah certainly deserves a nomination. He does not dance in this movie, unfortunately, because I was thinking he, he does, does a do flip. a flip. Because I felt, you know, it was hard not to at times think maybe like West Side Story or something like that while watching this, and I was like, this could use like I'd love to see these guys 
break into dance and start singing like their hearts out like that would have been incredible like outsiders the musical one day possibly i don't know you know i just thought you know eisen you said you know the flip i just had a, a this is it feels so perfect for a tom cruise award show uh, most athletic feet. Yep. Yeah. Backflip. Because already here he's doing his own stunts, and that's really what he's pushing these days. Like, I do my stunts, come watch me break my ankle. Yep. And it works. I'm there. <laughs> Best death, he does not die. Best outfit, wardrobe, gas station attendant uniform. I was going to say denim vest with no shirt. Denim vest with no shirt. All right. It's a, oh, Joey, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a real, it's a real too fast, too furious Tyrese look where he's got the, the shirt the sleeveless denim yeah with the shirt open it's, it's a shirt movie. it's a shirt that he takes off to punch out that window right yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's what it seemed like to me. best line i do like the line that i mentioned earlier that no one in this neighborhood is going to call the police because they know better but it's not as good as so far uh it's beautiful man beautiful or no eight years old and i was into arson or i'd like to take a grenade and shove it right up their asses beer for breakfast is kind of a fun line beer for <laughs> breakfast is a fun line i just you know i think that that's going to be one that i sort of forget about oh i don't know i think anytime that we're hanging out and drinking beers, I'm going to say to you, beer for breakfast. <laughs> I'm going to try to remember that. Uh, so we have best running scene as well. So we have most most athletic feet and best running scene, two different categories. Worst love story, best love story, no. Be- most badass role? Eh. Mm. There's going to be, be more badass roles, I think, than this. Oh, yeah. And then here's the, the last question, unless there's another thing that we want to nominate that we have not mentioned yet. Best or worst non-cruise actor, male or female? Is there anybody in this movie that we want to call out specifically. I feel like this is sort of the, the, the quintessential ensemble where everyone is good and not really anybody stands out in my eyes, but is there anybody that either of you think uh, we should recognize for their work in The Outsiders? Hmm. I mean, do we want to say Diane Lane as Cherry Valance? Yeah, that was going to be the, the one that I would suggest, yes. All right. She definitely stands out. Out of the guys, it's tough. It's tough. Like, I mean, we could do so. So last week when we recorded Hanks for the Memories, Boys and Buddies season one, we added the category best ensemble. We could do that here again. Oh, yeah, that, that's kind of yeah. perfect. Yeah. Best ensemble cast, The Outsiders. I also feel like just retroactively, we need to sort of add Taps in because I feel like Taps is the same kind of like gang of misfits, although much more rigid misfits in that movie. Yeah. And not quite as... Like, I don't know those actors as well, necessarily. I mean, we do have Sean Penn in there and Tom Cruise, but, like, I don't really... I don't feel like I knew the rest of those boys, per se, but... uh, Right, boy chick. (laughs) Uh, But, yes, okay, so we have seven nominees so far. uh, Or six, sorry. Best Fight, Best Outfit Wardrobe, Most Athletic Feats, Best Ensemble Cast, Best Non-Cruise Actor Female, Diane Lane. So, solid performance here in Episode 3 of Cruise Club. Nice. Well, Iceland, thank you so much for joining us. The last thing we do on the show is we feature a podcast here on the network. Because you are here, we are going to cede our time to you. Why don't you let the listeners know about the contenders? Uh, the last episode that just came out this this week as we're recording, which is the last episode as you're listening to this, was about a league of their own, where Mike and I were guests on there, sort of a, a jump ahead in Hanks. But why don't you talk a little bit about the contenders and what episode is coming next with, if I must say, the other Joe. <laughs> a Hanks time hop, if you will. Absolutely. So um, the contenders is a podcast I do with my brother Tobin Addington, also a um, Cage Club contributor and friend. It's about um, women in film, about um fearless women in front of and behind the camera. We um, 
do contemporary uh, movies as well as some older movies. And that's always fun to hop back and forth a little bit. As Joe said, yes, indeed, our most recent episode is A League of Their Own. Coming up next in um, another week and a half uh, will be a Copycat. Very I actually cool. don't know if it's a week and a half because I don't know when no, this it's coming one, it's, out. No, it's so. like four days as this comes okay. out. Okay. So. Hey, so later this week, <laughs> look out for Copycat. Which is your backdoor pilot into the Harry Connick Jr. podcast. It is the Connick of it all. To prepare yourselves for this, um, if you're interested in the in the Copycat episode, if we've piqued your curiosity, go back and listen to our Home for the Holidays episode, uh, which is the, the first time Joe Bolenbaugh appeared on our program, um, we all had a really good time. Hopefully that comes through on the recording. Oh, it did, because that's why I'm very jealous of him. That's I why, know, you I'm know. so sorry. It's, 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 it's the whole, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, it's, There's it's, room it's in my life for many a Joe. I know. And so uh, Joe was on that one. We've asked him back. This is our um, anniversary episode. It's been one year since we started. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So to celebrate, we're talking uh, with Joe about Harry Connick Jr., which, I mean, I can't picture a better evening. <laughs> no. It sounds delightful. Your show comes out every other Tuesday at cageclub.me, wherever you find this podcast. You can find that one. Uh, I've been on a handful of episodes. Mike's been on a couple episodes. So go check those out. Go check out Hanks for the Memories, the other part of this Tom Tom Club, and come back in two weeks for losing it with a former and possibly future host of the Cage Club Podcast Network. I will not say who that is. You can do your own snooping at cageclub.me. But for all things Cruise Club and Hangs for the Memories and all things Tom Tom Club, you go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cageclub. Come back in two weeks for losing it right here on Cruise Club. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Island Addington of the Contenders Podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks right here on Cruise Club. Upon the moment long ago One breath away and there you will be So young and carefree